Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, we welcome to week two, part two of our imperfect family. Now, just remember, imperfect doesn't mean bad. Imperfect doesn't mean bad. Pastor Mike referred to imperfect as dysfunctional. My mum referred to imperfect as miserable. <laughs> it doesn't mean any of those things. It simply means that we're not perfect and that's okay. We're in part two. Uh, part one is still up on YouTube, so feel free to go and check that out and have a look at it. But we're in part two of our imperfect family. We finish next week on Mother's Day in our 10 a.m. service, and there's no 6 p.m. service, so just let me remind you of that. And let me give you a little tip to watch Mother's Day live. There's going to be a surprise, so um, that's just a little teaser. Now, I mentioned Jerry Maguire last week and the whole you complete me, and maybe I said something that I'm not meaning to say right there. But uh, Jerry Maguire, there's another scene in Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise... I know, nuts anybody, but, but uh, Jerry Maguire's there, and, and he's there with Cuba Gooding Jr., who is his um, first sign in his fledgling sports agency uh, company, and he's there with him, and he's trying to help Cuba Gooding Jr. fix his attitude, because Cuba Gooding Jr. is this cocky football player who just thinks the whole world should revolve around him. And they're there in the dressing shed, and Tom Cruise is trying to help him, and he's saying, impassionately, as Tom Cruise does, help me help you. And he gets more and more fired up about it. He's like, help me help you. Help me help you. And it looks like he's getting through and Cuba Gooding Jr. says, help me, help Help me help you, help everybody. And uh, and it's this kind of crazy scene. Well, that's what we're talking about tonight. Help me help you. A kind of help that we can have and help each other and help you, help me, help everybody. And so part two We need to look at this because perhaps in this current season, there's a level of imperfection that you had that you were okay with. But in this current season, you've gone, well, actually, this was worse than I thought it was. This is more imperfect than I even thought it was. And uh, it turns out that in China, as marriage registries have reopened, that the number of filings for divorce has actually increased because hardships expose imperfections. But exposure doesn't need to equal uh, over. It doesn't need to equal that. And in fact, we can come out of this better than we've ever been. But I just want to give you a word of warning if you are going through particularly tough times. I I want to tell you about uh, a concept called emotional divorce. And that's where where what's happened is, is that you've kind of tuned out, you've dialed out, you've disconnected. And what happens when that happens? Maybe you've even made a decision that things are done. And what happens when that happens is that your, your, uh, the war between your emotions and your cognition ceases because you've said, okay, I'm done. You've made that decision. And so all the tension between your, your cognition and your emotions just goes away. But what happens is as you decide to re-engage, that that tension comes back up to the surface as your cognition and your emotion begins to battle again. And so you kind of feel like, hey, I made this decision to try harder and it's gotten worse, not better. Expect that and that's okay. Uh, Because engaging is what matters. Engaging is important. It's different for all of us, you know. Uh, The doers amongst us, if we have a level of hardship, they're able to say, you know, in their imperfect family, if there's difficulty in extended family, they're like, ah, whatever. Their problem, don't care. A feeler will be like sleepless nights. I can't deal with this complicated relationship. I need there to be peace. I just need there to be understanding flowing. 
I think it will sometimes alternate between blaming them and, and, and justice and, hey, I can state my case very easily and then blame on themselves and taking the blame and saying, oh man, I, I've done this wrong, I can see so clearly what I did wrong. And, and maybe a multifaceted person is more like, it's so much emotional energy, they're like that little kid on that turkey show, they're like, I'm tired now, and just like go to sleep because it's all too hard and too much. Well, I want us to just quickly have a look at what we looked at last week, which was great expectations. We all move into our imperfect family with great expectations, whether they're from popular culture, whether they're from our family of origin, informed by our family of origin or in reaction to our family of origin, and then our wiring, uh, how we express and experience love in the five love languages or in our highest needs according to our temperament. And then we talked about how we've got to make sure that doesn't become the image that we idolise. Our great expectations can't go to the place to be the image that we idolise. Idols aren't real. The golden calf, as we talked about, is not real. It did not bring them out of Egypt. The, uh, the idols in Abraham's father's workshop, not real. Instagram, not real. We can't get to the point where we idolise an image. And then um, we go, went to, do you know what you want? And I encourage you to actually make a list of all your wants and, and then to transfer into a different column whether or not they're your needs. And then who are you actually wanting to meet those needs? Ask the question, do you know what they need? We ask the question, do you know what you want? And said that James suggests that that's the, the root cause of every quarrel and argument among you, that you're not getting what you want. But let's shift the question to do you know what you need? And I said we'd talk about that this week and so we will. And finally, I don't complete you. No, you don't complete me. You don't complete me. Jesus is the only one who's offered life and no one else can offer you that. No one else can give you that. And so we cannot expect someone to complete us when that spot is reserved for our creator. So let's head into this week. Do you know what they need? Do you know what they need? And I just want to tell you tonight that I understand that there's all these kind of impediments that rush up in us immediately as we ask this question, do you know what they need? It depends on how we're feeling in our family situation. It depends on the safety and the security that we feel in our relationships. If we can ask this question without like this kind of ugh, rising up in us, do you know what they need? And what I want you to do tonight is place yourself on a scale from Hagar and Hosea all the way to Priscilla and Aquila. You might say, what is this, Bron, like a naming convention? No, it's not, because I don't know what a naming convention is. But I will explain to you about these people. You say, Hagar, Trish mentioned her this morning. Hagar was, uh, and just remember that these are all scenarios in a culture vastly different from ours, though these practices are sometimes still the case in various cultures, but also thousands of years ago, these cultures that we're talking about. So we're not looking to bring the, the practices into our culture, we're just looking at the principles. So here's Hagar, and uh, she's a, a servant in a time um, where, where servants had absolutely no rights. They were, in fact, slaves. And uh, her mistress, Sarah, has been promised that she would have a baby, um, but she, she just thinks that it's not possible, it's not going to happen. And this is before IVF, this is before being able to you know, deal with embryos and all that kind of thing. And their version of that was, here, husband, have my servant and create your family through her. So when the servant falls pregnant, the, 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 the mistress, Sarah, she gets upset and she gets jealous because that, that was a spot that was reserved for her. And so Hagar flees from her and heads out into this desert. 
And in this beautifully orchestrated moment by God where she encounters the living God and, and he, he lets her know that he's there for her, she goes back. She ends up having her son. But then her mistress has a son also. And as the two boys have a bit of argy-bargy, she heads back out into the desert with her son this time. And he is crying and she walks away from him because she can't watch him die. She has lost the support of her child's father. She has lost all her support networks. She is abandoned and alone and again encounters God in that moment. But first is in this place where she has been abandoned. Hosea is a man in the Bible. And in fact, this is a prophetic and poetic analogy in itself and its own thing. But, but just taking the principle from it, he's a man who marries a woman called Goma, who then goes and betrays him, uh, perhaps with multiple men. They have three children, but she ends up living with a man or one of the men that she betrayed Hosea with, and he's left with the children. And then we have Leah. And Leah is, uh, in, the, in the Bible, I'll, I'll read you how we're introduced to her. Hang on, I'll just skip Ooh, through that. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Thank you, writer of Genesis. Like as if Leah didn't have enough trouble of her own and as if we don't compare ourselves enough to each other, you go and compare her to her sister. Like, come on. And if you're a man watching uh, tonight and you're like, yes, you women, you just compare yourself to each other all the time. This goes on, this story, where Jacob increases the amount of his flocks and it turns out that men have just as much a problem of measuring. They measure the size of their achievements and so they continue on in that way. And, uh, and what happens is that... L um, it says that Jacob was in love with Rachel. It says that he worked for her for seven years. That was the price of marrying her as according to her father. But it says that this seven years went past just like a couple of days. So strong was his love for her. Well, the father tricks Jacob and actually, because they wore heavy veils back then, marries Leah, his oldest daughter, to, her, to, to Jacob. I just want you to engage with Leah's narrative for a moment. Imagine you know that you've always been the ugly sister. And you wake up the next morning after giving yourself for the first time to someone. And what you see in his eyes is disappointment and rejection. And he leaves straight away to go to your father and say, you gave me the wrong daughter. Imagine the rejection that you would feel from that. And then you also have to, what happened was that he ended up marrying the sister as well a week later. So you get one week with your husband until he marries the love of his life. And then, uh, and then sure, you're provided for and sure you get to have a legacy with your sons and whatnot, but your deep emotional needs are never actually met. And then let's go back to Rachel. Rachel, of course, she's, uh, she's got her deep emotional needs left. She's got a man who would work for her for seven years, but it only feels like two days. Do not tell me Mr. Darcy is dead, Darren Bennell. There's a love story right there. But she... she is there and, and yet she still feels this insecurity and competition with her sister trying to say and prove to her husband, I can add value to this relationship. I can have children. I can have sons. And she still feels this competition. And in fact, when they flee that country away from her father because um, um, Jacob's assuming that he's getting upset with his success, they flee. And Rachel grabs hold of the idols from her father's house and tucks them away in her bag. Even though she's married a new man and worshipping a new God, she's like, I have to take this familiar thing from my past in order to feel safe about the future. How, 
How would she feel like that when, her, when she's so loved, when her emotional needs are so met? And now I understand that we're looking at these families and you're like looking around at your family going, well, I thought we were imperfect, but compared to these guys and their Jerry Springer drama, I feel like we have got it all under control. Let's move forward to Priscilla and Aquila, the powerhouse couple of the book of Acts, whereby they are ministering together in the gospel. They are working side by side and anyone who works with their spouse knows that in order to work with your spouse, there has to be so much give and take. There has to be so much of laying down your ambition and your dreams to empower the spouse and same on their behalf as well. And yet here they are working together. And in fact, Aquila so secure about who he is that he allows Priscilla to become the prominent one of the couple in a day and age where that was not done. Incredible powerhouse couple. So, so can you engage with any of these biblical characters tonight? Can you be like, do you feel like Hagar or Hosea where you actually feel betrayed, abandoned, rejected and lonely? Do you feel like Leah where sure some needs are met, I might be provided for, but where is the love in this relationship? You might be like Rachel where you're deeply loved, but you're carrying insecurity where you almost self-sabotage the relationship that you've been blessed with. Or like Priscilla and Aquila, where you're working alongside each other. You, you, might, you might have different strains of income. You might have different ways of going about things. But you are in it together and you're tempering your own interests for the sake of the other person's. Because the way that you engage with this scale will enable you or disempower you to ask the question, what do they need? If you ask the question, what do they need from me, and you're feeling a deep sense of insecurity, you immediately begin to feel of all the places that you're missing out on, and you feel like, well, who's looking after me? So let's continue. Do you know what they need? Do you know what they need? We're not talking about their states. We're talking about the state of mind and what we might carry through into that. We're going to go to his, I just want to remind you of his heart for you tonight. Because whatever you might be feeling, there's a concept uh, in a course called Circle of Security called shark music. And it's where you can look at the same scene with two different lots of music going on in the background. And that will inform you how you engage uh, with the material, with the material that's going on around you, with the relationships with your imperfect family. Uh, so we're just going to play an example of that shark music tonight. Not that shark music, but you are welcome. That will be in the, your head for the rest of your life because that music has spawned from the pit. So we're going to go to the actual shark music. We'll show the, show the um, beach scene and, and some music, beautiful music. Let it calm you, let it soothe you. Different music, same scene, different music. Let's see what it does. okay? I'm just waiting for someone to scream. You see, what you bring into every scenario is yourself. And the music that you're playing in your head is, 
is how you're engaging with the material that's in front of you. Someone can be looking at it and going, how on earth did you get that out of that? And yet you are feeling this sense of dread or apprehension, but it's because you're bringing you with that. So I want to remind you of his heart for you. I want the shark music to dissipate tonight as we look at, do you know what they need? We're going to look at some scriptures. And I tell you, I'm preaching to myself tonight. I'm preaching to myself. We all get this wrong on the daily, but it is a, it's a life worth pursuing. It's a, it's a calling worth pursuing uh, uh, if we go for this. Do you know what they need? So let me tell you, you are who he says you are. You are chosen, not forsaken. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There is there, now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He loves you. You could make your bed in the depths and he would still be there. You, you know, there is nothing above or beneath anywhere else in the world that can separate you from his love. Let me remind you of that. Let the shark music just dissipate. Let your heart settle as we head into this tonight. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, if you want to in your Bible, just go ahead and underline only, because it's not saying that you have to forget all your interests, all your dreams, all your plans, done, they're over, they're finished. No, no, no. Just don't look only to them, but also to the interests of others. You know, this is not a beat down on yourself. This is not a take yourself low. This is actually a positive instruction, not a negative one. This is an empowering instruction, not a disempowering one. And uh, one scholar writes, put them in first place. Give them the place of honour. Respect them. Listen to them. Speak about them. Serve them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. This is a proactive instruction, not a, not a passive one. This is, this is active and powerful if we will do it. You know, Paul talks regularly about honour, and so does Jesus, obviously, about honouring those in authority. And uh, something as a pastor that I've noticed is that some people honour me. Some people get honour and, and they honour their pastor. Other people seem to feel like it's their job to make sure I don't think too highly of myself. And they want to make sure that I remember that I am a mere mortal, let me tell you, I, <laughs> there's enough self-talk going on that I will never forget it. I don't need your help. Thank you very much, though. But honour, you know what? I can receive honour as a pastor, and I can go home and give my family the dregs. And that is not how it should be. Honour is not even reserved for pastors or government or your boss. Honour is for everybody. That is the biblical pattern, 360-degree honour, honour is for everyone. Imagine if we went home and honoured our family, our imperfect family. Imagine if we served them, strengthened them, took care of them, looked after them and didn't give them the dregs. Sometimes I feel like we go home and give our worst to the people because we feel like they have to put up with us. Let's not be those that do that. Let's not be able to honour someone at church or at work or at school because of their position and then go home and not honour at home. Let's honour everywhere we are. Honour. I would just say, watch the I statements as we begin to examine this. You know, what can rise up in us, those immediate impediments that rise up and, and suggest, well, who's going to look after me? Are these I statements of, well, I, well, I, will I do this, well, I do that. I'll tell you about a time that Daz and I had an I conversation. The kids were little 
And, uh, and, and it was never actually spoken. We never laid out our expectations for our life or anything like that. But it, it just was a, a given that I was going to look after them while they were little. And if I was going to work, it would be while raising them during the day and, and, um, and that Daz would go to work. That was somehow our just general understanding. And that's what we did. And we, we enjoyed that. We did that and we loved it. And um, Daz won, but I always wanted to do stuff as well. Like I actually wanted to work. I know I'm an incredibly boring person, but I wanted to work as well. And so Daz would get home and I'd say, okay, am I right to go out now? And he'd say, well, well who's going to have the kids? I'm like, oh, you, you, you have them. And he's like, but I had them last Thursday. I'd be like, yeah, but... So I had them like the Wednesday night before that. And he'd be like, well, I had them um, on, on Friday lunch. I came home and stayed home all afternoon. I'm like, well, I had them on Saturday all day when you went out. And, and there was this I, 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 I. And then eventually Daz said, I just feel like I'm always babysitting. And I said, it's not babysitting when they're your children. That's called parenting, Darren. And, uh, and so we went on with our I statements. The I statements should be in the other direction. What can I do? What can I do to help out there? What, what does this require of me? How can I be helping this situation? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. This is Paul's set up of instructions for Christian households. This is his preface. It's like this connects it to the statement before and everything coming after. And he says, let this be the, the framework of everything that you decide to do. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here, right here, is where the shark music dissipates because it's not about a person and whether or not they deserve my reverence because I'm revering Christ and that's why we submit to each other. There's this battle of deference, not because each other deserve it, because we don't, but because we love Jesus and everything that he's done for us. So it's out of reverence for him that we will defer to one another. What about this? Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. We so often apply this to the church and to each other and Christian fellowship. Why would we not apply this to our homes, to our imperfect family? Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. I love the way the ESV puts it. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Outdo one another in showing honour. You know, Paul talks in Corinthians. He says, you want all these amazing moves of the Spirit? You want to see miracles? You want to see tongues? You want to see interpretations? You want to see all these things? You want to see the earth shake and all manner of amazing things happen? Let me give you a priority, okay? He says, love is the most and best way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, is not, it does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Here's the thing about this kind of love. You can't impose these onto anybody else to reciprocate to you. You can only instigate them and improve them in your life and inculcate them into who you are, and it will take a lifetime. If you're like, well, I don't really know what they need from me. Start with this. Start with this and it will take you a lifetime to try and navigate the ins and outs and the nuances of what this is. Imagine, imagine when you're walking with your friend tomorrow that, that you're rejoicing with the truth. Imagine if you're protecting your spousal relationship rather than talking smack. Oh, there's nothing wrong with verbal processing, don't get me wrong. But imagine if your heart is always to protect. 
Imagine if the next time you're in a, a disagreement with your spouse, you don't start the litany of wrongs, but instead you keep no record of wrongs and we start afresh each day, just like God's mercies are for us. Imagine, this takes a lifetime. You'd be like, yeah, I heard that at a wedding once and I encourage you, memorise this and let it get on the inside of you. When you go to be jealous because you feel like someone in your family gets to do everything and you don't, you remember love does not envy. How will we appropriate these? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You're like, Bron, why are you bringing that up? This is simply talking about the law and right and wrong according to the law. And sometimes in our imperfect family, we got so caught on what is right and what is wrong and who's right and, and black and white and, and this is this and that's that. But it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Your faith should look like something and it should be love and anything less is a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. Let love be the thing that we are working on in us for ourselves. What a beautiful thought. You might be like, just, what it looks like is us tempering our own temperament even in order to engage with the other person's. It looks like us not just speaking our love language, but speaking theirs. And let me give you a tip. Studies show that mums... That, that teenage boys find it hard. They only catch one sentence out of every kind of six for their mothers. And uh, so if you go into their room and it's a messy room and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Do you know I laboured 14 hours for you, 14 hours to bring you into this world and this is how you repay me. I can't believe that you're just messing things up. I feel so disrespected right now. I wish you'd clean it. All I hear is, yang, 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 yang. It's just a fact. I'm sorry, I don't like it either, but it's just a fact. If you're like, well, you know what? I'm a feeler and I need to express myself. And my husband, he just grunts in return and he should, he should be talking to me. Try scaling back your words by about 50%. And I'm not trying to denigrate you at all. I'm just saying like it looks like engaging with them on their level. And absolutely, he should talk to you better. <laughs> he should express himself. He should exp but that's his job. That's on him. You can't fix that. You can only fix you and you can only work on what they need from you. So... As a really good question as we come to a close tonight is what's on me? As, as I look at everything that they need, what's on me in the midst of that? And you cannot put it all on you. I mentioned last week that I went into marriage thinking that I was gonna be Daz's everything. And I was bitterly disappointed as I disappointed him. And as he found people outside of me to be in his world, like how could he? It's not all on you to, to fix. You can't fix everything. You can't be everything to all people. And let me just get really straight about it. If they have a, an, an image of what you should be that is based on fiction, of something that they've started watching a long time before you even came on the scene in, in both directions, and that is not on you. That's not on you. If you're being asked to engage in things that you don't feel comfortable with, that's not on you. However, engaging is. <laughs> more than every six months, it, that is on you. And we should definitely do that. You know, I've spoke cryptically there. I hope you picked up what I was putting down, but have a conversation about it. What do you need from me? And, and if you recognise at the start, as you start that conversation, that not everything is on you, you're better equipped to have the conversation. It's okay. 
You can take a deep breath. You can downplay the shark music because you know that just because you ask the question doesn't mean that you're automatically responsible for everything that's mentioned. It's not on you. And so that brings us to the fact that I don't complete you. You cannot complete your family. They can't complete you and you can't complete them. But coming at it wide open, eyes wide open, and actually looking at the scenario and going, okay, well, what is actually at work here? You are much better placed to be able to move forward. You're only responsible for you. Pray for them, but only be responsible for you. You know, the Hebrew word repent, shuv, is this word that means have a look at where you're at, analyse where you're at, acknowledge where you are at and move forward from there. Go in a different direction. And I just want to let us all off the hook a little bit tonight. We don't need to get this right tomorrow. We just need to change by degrees our mindset and allow God and surrender to Him to change us by degrees so that our trajectory by the end of this year even is so vastly different because we just shifted it slightly here and now I'm heading in a completely different direction than I was initially. Much change can be achieved even a year, in a year, if we'll just gradually shift by degrees. It's not all this massive thing that you have to do tomorrow. And so I'm going to pray because, I don't know about you, but I need prayer for this. If I'm to ask the question, what's on me? If I'm to ask the question, what do they need from me? I need prayer. And I'm also going to include in that prayer, a prayer not only of repenting for how we've been as it relates to our imperfect family, but even how we've been in general and If you want to pray tonight and say, God, I repent, and you want to apply the sacrifice that Pastor Mike talked about tonight around the table of the Lord, around communion to your life, you can in your own words, even as we pray right now. So Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that everything changed, that that He showed us a different way that He was able to look at what we, where we were at and, and show us a better and a different way. And so Lord, right now, of our hard-heartedness, we repent. Of our need to control, we repent. Of our need to have it all together, we repent. Lord, we repent of anything that's holding us back and our imperfect family from being everything that You want us to be, which is not perfect, Lord, but whole and healed. And so Lord, we, we give it all to You tonight. We give You our very lives and we say, Lord, we acknowledge where we're at And we ask you to move us forward in Jesus' name, in your way. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.